All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from New York City on this, the 22nd day of May, 2018. Before I talk more about today's show, let me remind you that I am the author, the uh, editor of Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, and that you can subscribe to my letter by going to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com, or call our office during normal work hours in New York City at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426. would also like to encourage you to consider subscribing to Chen Lin's excellent newsletter by going to chenpicks.com, chenpicks.com. Chen is an occasional... Uh, he's an occasional guest on this show and uh, provides some very interesting ideas, especially in the area of biotech and energy. He also follows some of the mining stocks, so we'll have Chen on from time to time. But ChenPicks.com is where you should go to learn more about what he does and to sign up for his letter. I want to thank each of you for listening to the show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. And uh, also to encourage you to send along your questions, criticisms, praises, or whatever comments you have to questions for Taylor at gmail.com. Questions at number four, Taylor at gmail.com. We do want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show RN Resources, Balmoral Resources, Bonterra Resources, Genesis Metals Corp., Klondike Gold, Northern Empire, and Novo Resources. Well, you should know that our sponsors are really only by invitation. It isn't enough for companies to simply have the money and want to come on as sponsors so they can tell you their stories. But these are companies that I have, uh, in every case, have invested my own personal money in, but also have some uh, have uh, covered them in my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. So uh, they're companies that I really like, have a good feeling for, and that's why they are here as sponsors. I uh, should say much the same uh, modus operandi is applied to the Metals Investor Forum, where the companies that are there are there only by invitation of the newsletter writers. Now, the Metals Investor Forum, I'll be uh, getting on an airplane tomorrow morning to attend that event in Vancouver on May 23rd and 24th. Um, if I got that right, that's no, the 24th and 25th, I'm sorry, uh, of this month. Um, so I'm, I'm heading out there tomorrow, tomorrow morning. Uh, actually, I'm told it's 95% sold out. I did check a minute ago before coming on the show. There are still a few seats available. But if you're in the Vancouver area and can attend this and are interested in these companies, I would strongly suggest you go to jtaylormedia.com, jtaylormedia.com, click on the Metals Investor Forum banner and just simply put in your email and name and you will be assured a seat at the Metals Investor Forum 
uh, at the Georgia Hotel in Vancouver. Uh, they, uh, the seats, it's a free event, but as I say, the seats are limited. They do provide a lunch and a breakfast uh, for all the attendees. There's an open bar after the uh, conference closes on Friday and Saturday. I'll be speaking at 1130 on Friday. The title of my talk will be 2018, A Year of Epic Market Disruptions, question mark, and uh, part two. I suggested that would be the case in my speech up there in January. Uh, and we will see. I mean, the equity market continues to do okay. We're going to be talking more to our guests today about that and where they think this market is going, uh, where various markets are going. I will be examining in my speech, I'll be talking uh, really along the lines of what Alistair McLeod has talked about here, uh, having to do with the um, with the credit cycle. It's not a business cycle, really. It's a credit cycle. Um, activities and markets are driven by money creation, not by the natural ebbs and flows of nature, but rather by the manipulation of those natural uh, flows by primarily by the by the Federal Reserve, central banks, and also, of course, governments that stimulate, uh, and I would argue, create a great deal of damage long-term by their actions. But in any event, I'm going to be talking about where where I think we are now in the uh, in this credit cycle. And in fact, that's uh, some of what I'm going to be talking to our two guests about in a few minutes from now today as well. Uh, also sharing the stage with me in Vancouver will be the four companies that I have invited to this event. Uh, Klondike Gold Corp. They are a sponsor of this show. They have a massive gold target, some 55 kilometer strike length of uh, of a favorable structure and uh, evidence of gold along the way. We've had Peter uh, Talman on this show in the past and uh, not too long ago to talk about it. He'll be back again, but he'll be on the stage with me to provide an update to the attendees uh, there on Klondike Gold Corp. Balmoral Resources is another company I've invited there. They'll be sharing the stage with me. They are a sponsor to this show as well. They have a very sizable nickel deposit that I think is grossly undervalued as far as the market price of the company goes, but they are also outlining a, a very sizable gold target, a gold project, actually have some high-grade near-surface resources that have been delineated just recently that I think are very impressive, although the market doesn't seem to be paying much attention, as is the case with almost all the junior mining companies these days. The market... Um, is very, the gold shares are very much out of favor, and I would suggest very strongly in light of what we're going to be talking about the rest of today's show, that now might be a really good time to take a serious look at a lot of these companies. Another company that will be sharing the stage with me in Vancouver is Telson Resources. They have been a sponsor in this show in the past. That's a company that stock chart looks pretty good. It's looking pretty good because they are actually in the process of building and restoring and putting back into production two mining projects in Mexico. And they're doing very, very well with those projects. Uh, they are actually, before they've gone to commercial production, they are generating some cash flows uh, from bulk uh, from bulk samples that they've been mining, bulk mining that they've been doing. Uh, but expect to go into commercial production, I believe, next quarter uh, for, for one, or at least by the end of the year. Uh, no, I think next quarter for the one mine and then at the end of the year for the other. So doing very well, Telson Resources. And last but not least, Skeena Resources. It's a company that I've really come to appreciate. Uh, they are in the process of upgrade, uh, putting back into production or at least uh, exploring and developing the very high-grade SNP gold deposit in the Golden Triangle of British Columbia. And this is a project that uh, was mining incredibly high grades of gold in the past. 
the uh, issues that they had, though, when the price of gold went to went to two hundred and some dollars, uh, they were actually mining something like fourteen grams or twelve grams per ton cutoff grades. Incredibly high grade resource still remains there, but now, in addition to the fact that the price of gold is around thirteen hundred dollars, they also have infrastructure advantages. Uh, electric power that goes to the site and roads and highways that can get uh, the access roads that get you right to the site. So Skeena Resources is another company that I like a whole lot, and I've invited them also to the Metals Investor uh, investor Forum. Now, again, seats are limited. Um, it's free, but go to jtaylormedia.com to make sure that there's a place for you if you can make this event. And I uh, would love to see you, and if you're a listener to this show, please um, – Please make sure you let me know when we uh, when we rub shoulders there. As far as news for the sponsors in this show goes, uh, Novo Resources is expected to report assays from its first bulk sample from its Comet Well project in Australia. Now, this is something the market is obviously looking forward to. The stock's been trading very, very well. I'm exceptionally pleased with that. Uh, of course, if there should be disappointing results, we could expect uh, the stock to drop. But, uh, well, time will tell. I mean, this is one of the most exciting, one of the most unusual gold deposits that I have ever come in contact with. And I've been following the junior sector since 1981, just to give you an idea of, uh, of how long I've been at this. This is potentially the next Whitwaters Rand deposit. And as uh, Dr. Henning said on this show, when I asked him, how could the market be pricing your shares so high? He said, well, he thinks that people want to uh, have a chance to, to profit from this if things work out as he, uh, as he believes they, they can. Uh, I'm not going to say that he believes they will because I think nobody knows for sure until more work is done, but it is a very, very exciting story. Uh, and then Northern Empire, uh, I should mention Michael Allen will be on this show next week. He's the CEO of that company. And this is a project that I actually went out to visit a few, a couple of months back in uh, in southern Nevada. They are in the process, I think, of outlining what could be an enormous gold deposit. Uh, they are next to Corvus, which is uh, really outlining some very high-grade material. But uh, also Northern Empire has had some very, very strong uh, assays uh, along over a, a sizable strike and various targets uh, that they are looking at on their uh, project in southern Nevada. So this is another story that I'm extremely excited about. Of course, I own personally own both of those stocks as well. Um, I've titled this sh- today's show, Are We Entering a Secular Bear Market in U.S. Treasuries? David McElvenny and Michael Oliver will return a massive defiance of nature's markets has been underway thanks in large part to the big lies of Keynesian economic theory. Keynes suggested that saving isn't important and that governments and their central banks can simply print wealth. They can print money and create wealth. That theory was tested in spades ever since the 1930s, but after 2008 and 2009, it was really tested in spades. And that took the world to the, that, that experience in 2008-2009, which was a buildup of Keynesian economics, took the world to the edge of financial destruction, total destruction financially. I mean, it was really a frightening time, if those of you can think back a few years. Yes, over a few years, we tend to forget uh, how, how difficult things were. Uh, but if you go back and revisit history, you'll recall. Now, banks are starting to lend now. Again, they've forgotten. Um, central banks are recognizing now, however, the need to reverse course and pull money out of the economy by selling their treasuries 
back into the market. In other words, the Fed is downsizing its balance sheet. Keynesian economics were tried in the 1930s, as I said, for the first time in American history. didn't work out very well. The Depression drug on for about 10 years um, until World War II came along, but never did the proponents of Keynesian economics ever suggest that there was a problem with Keynesian theory. Instead, people like Ben Bernanke and virtually every economist with a PhD behind his or her name suggested that policy was simply not executed properly or insufficiently. It wasn't uh, enough dosage of money pumped into the system to make it work. And so, after 2008 and 2009, which was the most serious market crash since 1929 and the deepest recession since the 30s, a massive manipulation of the market was undertaken by the Fed and other central banks around the world on an unimaginable scale, thus setting up the next economic earthquake, which will likely be larger than the 2008-2009 episode just as every decline has been more severe than the prior one since the 1930s. The problem is that excessive debt is never permitted by the monetary authorities to be extinguished, so that with each credit cycle, debt to income in the system grows to the point where the lifeblood of the global economy is being drained out of the system. Now, David McElvoyney will join me at the end of the uh, the second half of today's show. He will address the issues uh, with the Federal Reserve trying to unwind the excess debt that they've created um, to downsize their balance sheet. We're going to explore with him what that's going to mean and how that's going to play out in light of Trump's $1.2 trillion deficit next year and another $600 billion of money that's being drained out of the system by the Fed. Who's going to save? Where is the money going to come to finance the the Treasury, at least at these interest rate levels? And what will it do to the economy when interest rates rise to the levels they need to rise in order to finance the budget? Or will the Fed simply go into another massive printing episode that makes the 2008-2009 episode look like child's play? Well, we're going to talk to David about that, but also uh, we want to ask him, how should we prepare for it? Most people don't see it. Most people are oblivious to it. The financial uh, system and the people on Wall Street don't really want you to think about it, uh, but we would be foolish to put our heads in the sand. I think it's always better uh, to know the truths, even if they're unpleasant, than to ignore them so that we can prepare for uh, the times that lie ahead. Well, as I say, David will be with me in the second half of today's show, but right now, right after our first commercial break, Michael Oliver will be with me to help us see where stocks, bonds, commodities, gold, and other markets are headed based on Michael's work that he does, his technical work. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Michael Oliver. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. A gold rush has begun. Recently, three of the largest gold mining companies announced strategic acquisitions in the Yukon territories. Ahead of them was a group who had already consolidated the key claims covering the historic Klondike gold rush into one company, aptly named Klondike Gold Corps. Led by a team of accomplished geoscientists, the company is steadily advancing exploration to reveal the rich source of all that gold. The hunt for the next major discovery is well underway, and Klondike Gold's shareholders are strategically positioned. Stay ahead of the majors and follow KlondikeGoldCorp.com. 
When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again the most frequent guest on the show, Michael Oliver. And I would suggest you go to OliverMSA.com, OliverMSA.com, to learn more about Michael's work. Thanks for joining me again, Michael. Hi, Jay. Good to be back. Always good to have you with us, and uh, I know that that is what our listeners uh, believe and how they feel as well. I get a lot of very positive feedback from your presence with us, so I want to just really, we're really grateful for your presence. Michael, um, let's look at the S&P 500. It's certainly, uh, it's off its highs, for sure. I think it got close to 2,900, but if I look at um, at a price chart, there doesn't seem to be any really serious downside threat at this stage. In fact, I see it has actually broken out above a, uh, a downtrend from the, from the peak, uh, you know, a short-term downtrend. Mm-hmm. Applying your structural momentum readings, how are you viewing the uh, the S and P now well, at this point in time? I think it's a major coil off the highs. Okay, the S and P we're talking about now, the broader market, yes. uh, not the not the the blow off stuff, the Adobe's, the Amazons of the world. When they come down, will come down like an elevator being cut. Um, but the S and P, I think, is going to decline in layers. It's probably going to be an arduous bear market. I think we've started it. Uh, I think it's just wasting time. It's coiling, twisting, redundant price action. You could draw a line sideways through where we are right now and go back about three months. Mm-hmm. It's just up and down and up and down. It's great for three-day traders, but uh, mm-hmm. for some investors, they've got to be scratching their heads whether they're short investors or long. But uh, I think there's enough damage been done that the asset class shift against stocks is underway, but it'll unfold in layers. It will not be an easy downturn. Most tops in the S&P are not easy. Go back and examine the 2017, uh, 2007 and 8 top and the manner in which that bear market declined. There were savage rallies. Uh, in fact, there was one day on the way down that you rallied 100 points in one day. Yeah. We're talking price levels that are way below where we are now. Yes. So uh, expect that. If you're a bear on stocks, uh, don't be hyper-leveraged. Uh, be patient. Um, and enter in layers. Don't put it all on at once. And that's what we're focused on right now is a second layer of selling, uh, a second place to sell. Uh, now, but I think th- the shift is underway. I think money's moving gradually out, distributing its way out of that market. Um, and where do you I think, think it's going? Where's it going? Oh, I'm not, you know, I've that thought about that, and I really don't know. In other yeah. words, uh, you could look at a price chart going back uh, 30, 40 years and say, well, gee, the 1500s were two peaks, you know, mm-hmm. 2000 and 2007. We're in the 1500s. So let's go back and sit on that. Well, that's a possibility, but that's a price-based one. And I frankly think that the unwinding that you've been talking about of these major, bigger-than-stock-market events mm-hmm. uh, opened open the possibility for something more than anybody can maybe even technically anticipate. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, yeah. it, it, I think the direction's changing, and it's going to be big. But there's other big things going on, too, that are probably easier to catch if, mm-hmm. if you're out there to make money uh, in terms mm-hmm. of percent gain without as much effort. Uh, and I think that's it primarily in the commodity area. Uh, mm-hmm. and yeah, I know you're very bullish on the commodities. Before well, we get to that, Michael, are, I'd like yeah. Before we get to commodities, I'd like to ask you about what your view is now on the U.S. Treasuries. Are they, are they have yeah. they been broken? Are you definitively broken. broken now in your in your point of view? Fully broken. I think they they're set up for a counter trend rally, and I, mm-hmm. I would say you know at least a six point rally at some point. We're talking T bonds now, T bonds futures. Yeah. They got down to a low about one forty one and change, and it wouldn't shock me if you saw one forty eight or in a rally if the rally begins soon. There's some technical evidence that it's trying to generate that turn. But I think that that turn will be coincident with a, a next sharp drop in stocks. In other words, a, a flight to safety that's brief, that helps the bonds have a counter-trend rally. Uh, but we turned major bearish on T-bonds, uh, the long, long end of the debt market, in October of 2016. Price then was 166 on the T-bond futures. Right now they're laboring in the low 140s. So they've already mm-hmm. gone a long way. We think they yeah. could go into the 120s, which would get the yields on 30 years up to four and a quarter. Wow. That's not the end of it, but that's just the next leg. But I see room for a counter-trend rally, and it might just be associated with a next sharp drop in stocks. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's, you know, that happens. Well, yeah, it's, it makes the stocks, uh, it makes yeah. its competitive competition for the stock market, yeah, but a also... Brief, a brief period of time, you know, not a, not a long-term divergence between them. I think they're both going down big in their long-term trends, price mm-hmm. of bonds and price of stocks. But those little counter-trend flurries can occur uh, yeah. when, when stocks get whacked. Yeah, and keep everybody off balance, of course. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Michael, what about the short end of the yield curve? Because it seems to me we, we're certainly seeing a flattening of the curve, which usually pretends tougher times for the equity market as well as uh, the, the economy in general usually pretends a recession a lot of times anyway. Uh, do, you, do, what do, you, do you look at the twos and the tens and things like that really as well? I don't look at them that much and, and I don't make a lot out of the curve. Uh, everybody yeah. does. We don't. We don't focus yeah. on that issue that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're looking at the major trend direction of 10 and 30 year type maturities uh, mm-hmm. both here and overseas. And mm-hmm. we see that trend as being down in price up in yields. Again, with the, with the caveat that you can have counter-trend rallies whenever stocks get uh, whacked too quickly. Uh, right. But no, I don't, I don't focus on the yield curve. A lot of people make big deal out of that, and they look back at various examples in the past, and I, I, don't, I don't do that. Okay. Uh, well, you certainly uh, uh, you have your own way of looking at things, which is why we love to have you here. Uh, you know, most people, so if we got a rising yield market, a lot interest rates are on the rise. Most people figure you can't have a commodity bull market in a rising interest rate environment. You can't have gold prices rising in a rising interest rate market. We, you and I have lived long enough to remember a time when that, when that happened, mm-hmm. big time in the 1970s. Uh, but comment on that, if you would. And what are your, your charts? It, I, think are your charts are? I think it's the mid to late 70s all over again, period. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at the asset classes, like uh, the Bloomberg Commodity Index, uh, for example, right now. I, hear, I read these headlines and all the financial press on TV and so forth about, well, you know, the strong dollar, in the, which is a counter-trend rally there, by the way, and rising yeah. interest rates will keep commodities suppressed. Well, tell the Bloomberg Commodity Index that. It's taken out two- and three-year <laughs> highs today. Yeah, it's it's up to ninety one and a half, and I'm telling you, if you uh-huh. get up to, uh, I've got specific numbers that I've told my subscribers, uh, but about a percent above where you are now, they're going to launch it. 
Now, mm. that's going to happen without, it's going to happen with commodities going up, not just one commodity. And frankly, I don't think it's going to be the lead won't be oil. I think the, uh, the grains will have a, a great say about that, and uh, including things like sugar, cocoa, and coffee, you know, mm-hmm. things you don't look at normally. But the well, Bloomberg's making new highs, multi-year highs right now, and everybody's talking about how that can't be happening. Yeah. Uh, yet it is. Well, and, uh, and, and oil, oil prices, too. And, uh, well, you know, people talking about $4 gasoline and stuff. Uh, yep, well, yep. so the, yeah, the grains, so the grains uh, and agricultural commodities in general, I know you've been very bullish on those, and they're mm-hmm. really starting well, to take off great. now. Yeah. They're, yeah, uh, and, they're pushing out uh, highs of the last few years. Uh, soybeans are a bit below, but corn and wheat are, are pressing at the uh, last couple of years' highs in price, and uh, they're acting rambunctious. And there's no particular reason for that. It's not like we've got some great weather problem. Um, I think it's just they were low, too low too long, and uh, they're starting to adjust for that. Uh, you'll probably get some kind of story to uh, explain an upside move. There always is one. But yeah. uh, we look at it technically, and we think they have the potential to be the biggest percent gainers this year among the commodities. Um, well, there's lots and lots of stories when markets move, uh, and they're just speculation more than anything. A lot of times, it's nothing. Nothing's measurable, but uh, your your work is is measurable in the sense, and you don't care what's causing the markets to move, but you, with a high high highly high success rate, are very accurate in in giving us the direction of things, which is why we love to have you here. You you commented very briefly on the dollar uh, showing some strength, and I mean the dollar has been showing some strength, but it, you're your technical work suggests that the that we're in a bear market for the dollar. It's a mm-hmm. counter trend mm-hmm. rally. You said right, yeah. counter trend rally. We're yeah, we're short the dollar index. Uh, we gave a major sell signal last May, so a year ago, at ninety nine. Okay. It dropped down to the, uh, close to eighty eight. It's rallied mm-hmm. back to ninety four oh six yesterday. And as far as I'm concerned, uh, it's a counter trend rally. Everybody's now turned bullish on the dollar. A lot of shorts who were maybe particularly positioned late in the downtrend got hurt by this rally. They didn't mm-hmm. sell at 99. They sold at 92 or something, and uh, therefore they got pinched. And that's what happens. Uh, that's how counter trend rallies occur. That's why they occur to clean the market out so it can go lower. And uh, I think the dollar index rally just might have seen its peak yesterday. Interesting. I've got some reasons for right. that, and I won't go into the details. But uh, if it has, uh, then that will obviously help the gold turnaround, which is already underway. Uh, the turnaround from the recent break. Uh, which, by the way, silver did not participate in. Right. Gold went down and took out the lows since January by a percent or so, uh, just enough to stop a lot of people out. Silver did not do that. And I don't okay, think anybody do knows that. Regarding gold, do you think uh, we've once again escaped your go-to-neutral level, or is yeah, it too I, early to tell? Yeah, go-to-neutrals, I wiped them out the other day. I said uh, had originally said if you close a month at 1290 or lower, which we've not done, of course, at this point, mm-hmm. monthly close. Uh, I looked at a lot of other indicators that I maintain, and it says, no, that's, that's not a good number. Uh, and I said, I will update that if I, if, if I think we need to have a, a number like that, a protective number mm-hmm. below. But I frankly think the turn is already underway. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the dollar surge yesterday that hit a certain number that I like to see hit, and now the downturn from that, gold immediately flipped back up, and I think gold goes, if gold, put it this way, gold's in the low 1290s, you get above 1300 again, I think you're going to zap it right back up into that range again, that yeah, range has been in, you know, 13 to 1350 area. Yeah, and I know that you give your subscribers definite numbers at different times as time goes right. on, what they should be looking at, and that's one of the reasons I just love 
getting your work every day to keep sort of help me keep um, keep my feet on the ground with regard to because boy it's awfully easy to get discouraged if you're long and you see gold dipping below 1300 you say uh oh here we go again and mm-hmm. no but uh, that's uh, sort of uh, confidence in uh, in the structure the uh, the momentum and structure which I think is so important that's what's unique about your work and your own proprietary uh, your own proprietary work Michael I want to thank you again for being with us I, I know thank that uh, so we're really looking forward to uh, to having you back again next week. Thank you so much. Well, folks, uh, don't go away. We're going to have David McElvaney with us right after the commercial break, and uh, he's going to talk to us about some really important issues, uh, very much related to what Michael and I were just talking about, but more from a fundamental point of view. Uh, we'll be talking to David McElvaney then. Until then, okay, be, we'll see you right after the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Karatha region of Western Australia, where they are currently drilling and trenching their Purdy's reward project. In addition, Nobo has partnered with Sumitomo Mining Corporation to advance its Beaton's Creek Gold project toward production. With over $70 million in cash and strong shareholder support from the likes of Kirkland Lake Gold, Nobo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again David McElvaney. Uh, David, is the, he's been with us a, a two or three times at least on this show over the years. Uh, he is the president of the McElvaney Financial Companies, McElvaney Wealth Management, and ICA. That's a precious metals brokerage firm. David is a featured speaker on radio and around the country uh, as he analyzes events, current events, and uh, he has a very, very interesting weekly podcast that I highly recommend that you should uh, listen to. It's it's very entertaining and it's also very informative. Uh, he has a very impressive academic background, but he also has spent time in the financial world with the big guys, with the mainstream, uh, Morgan Stanley. He worked there for a little while, but unlike most younger folks these days, uh, he has avoided being trapped into a box of Keynesian orthodoxy, which is in the process of, I think, leading the United States and indeed the world down a path towards socialism and economic destruction. Uh, I remember David's father, uh, his work as, uh, as an advocate of honest money back in the 1980s, and I actually heard him speak one time in New York at a gold mining conference perhaps uh, in the mid-80s. Uh, David was handed the McIlvaney business baton from his father, and he is a, he is, um, 
running an admirable race, I would say, for the good of his family and for all those uh, lives that he touches. Uh, while while David's uh, while the McAvaney business has to do with investing and using gold to preserve wealth and other uh, uh, other markets to try to help people uh, preserve their wealth. Uh, he is anything but a hard-hearted, cutthroat Wall Street type. Uh, to the contrary, David lives by principles given to us by our transcendent creator, and it shows through when you get to know him. Now, most of us won't have a chance to meet up with David personally, although I believe he does speak at some conferences from time to time. But you can learn to know the heart and soul of David McIlvaney, and I strongly suggest you should want to do so. You can learn to know David better by reading a book that he authored a couple of years back uh, titled The Intentional Legacy. To give you an idea of, uh, of what David is all about, let me just read a short excerpt from the introduction of his book, of that book. Uh, David says, uh, Every choice we make will shape the destiny of the children yet to be born. Every act of love or hatred, redemption or savagery, thoughtfulness or selfishness births a future for ourselves and others. We live lives uh, permeated by legacy, the legacy given to us and the legacy we cultivate every waking moment of the day. We are the custodians of a generational story. Ours is one, uh, ours is but one chapter positioned somewhere in the index of a book of indiscerning, indiscernible length. The narrative began long ago before we were born. It continues further into the future than we might imagine. We may not do with our lives whatever we choose. There is a higher call. We are the trustee caretakers of our great-grandchildren's future. Well, there's much more in this book, but this will give you just a flavor of what David is about. I don't know too many Wall Street guys, uh, Wall Street professionals who have done extremely well, as David has, uh, who are that deep, who think in terms of, uh, of the eternal and things that are, that are much more important than themselves. So uh, with that, thank you so much, David, for joining us again. Oh, well, Jake, great to be with you. Um, appreciate your, your kind introduction. Well, it is a, a heartfelt introduction. It is, uh, that book was an encouragement to me. Um, I, I just really uh, highly recommend it. And I guess they can pick up a copy through Can they get it at, uh, from your website, or where, where can they go to get it? Is it available in bookstores? Uh, it's probably available. On, probably the easiest place to get it is on Amazon. Sure. Okay. Um, so, David, um, I'd like to talk to you about the credit cycle a little bit today and uh, where, we, where you think we are in the credit cycle. I have Alistair McLeod is a, I don't know if you know Alistair, but he's a guest on this show from time to time, and he's talked about where he thinks we are in the credit cycle. Um, you know, we, we see the rates rising now um, at this point in time. Banks are selling their treasuries to avoid losses. They forget about the losses that they experienced in the last downturn. So they start putting that money to work by making loans. Uh, money actually gets into the real economy. Consumer prices and wages begin to rise. At some point, rising rates begin to weigh on stocks. We get a bear market develops in stocks, and the next recession occurs. And then the Fed comes to the rescue and starts another cycle again. Now, do you, where do you think we are in this cycle? Do you think we're in the late stage of this, of this current cycle that started after 2008, 2009? Well, I think coming back to the treasury market, you're talking about a cycle which is very long in the tooth. 
Um, Louise Yamada, who's a technical analyst, um, was originally with Smith Barney and spent mm -hmm. 20, 30 years before they shut down their entire technical department, um, did some great work on the treasury markets back in 2001, 2002. And what, what they sketched out was that the shortest interest rate cycle in the United States was a 22-year cycle. Um, the longest was about 36, and the average, you know, somewhere in between 27, 28 years on average. So we are here um, in an interest rate cycle that has started in 1982 mm -hmm. in our 36th year, and we're matching the longest ever interest rate cycle. Arguably, we could have turned earlier had it not been for central bank intervention. Mm -hmm. And there's implications for that, of course, because as you begin to tinker with the cost of capital, that is interest rates, you do have an impact on real estate values, obviously bond values, um, and very importantly, interest rates are the most critical factor in valuing stocks. So if you want to raise the value of the stock market, create a wealth effect, this is what we've been experimenting with post-2008-2009, is monetary policy on steroids, which has extended I think a secular treasury bull market longer than it should have gone. And mm -hmm. that kind of means we're, we don't have much left. We really don't have much left. Um, but it also suggests that, that the tailwinds that we've had for real estate and equities uh, may, may be lost here as well. Yeah, it's a, it certainly has been a tailwind, that's for sure. Um, so, so can there be another one? I mean, the 36-year Treasury bull. So, in other words, I think you've answered my question. That you think this is probably about it for this bull market. I mean, I can remember Mrs. Taylor and I, our first mortgage was a 17.5% mortgage in 1981 here in New York City. Um, and we weren't allowed to prepay the thing. You know, I mean, it wasn't allow, they wouldn't allow us to prepay it for four years or something like that. Uh, do, you, do you see, I mean, how is this thing going to play out, though, when this thing comes to an end? We have... Right now, we've had David Stockman on this show to remind us that, you know, the Fed is taking out something like $600 billion. It's, it's uh, pulling money out of the system, and Trump is running a $1.2 trillion deficit next year. Is the answer higher rates in order to, you know, to, to meet this demand? And, and how much can this economy take in the way of higher rates? I mean, if, if we get a 4% rate, can the stock market take that? And what's going to happen to pension funds? and a lot of other people that have their money and everything wrapped up in, in the stock market. I think we're looking at one of the great epic battles in the history of finance, and it's unfolding right in front of us. It, it is the battle between centralized control and command and control dynamics and what we refer to as the free markets. And, hmm. you know, rates have been rising about 18 months, 16 to 18 months longer than the Treasury's been moving. So they, they not only started later, uh, I'm sorry, the Fed started later, um, but they're playing catch-up and are very much behind the curve. To, to assume that the Fed is in, in charge here, that I think is a little bit like, I mean, if you remember the Wizard of Oz, he wanted people to believe that he was in control of everything. So, you know, he pulled the levers and there was lots of smoke and lots of flames and, and the great and mighty Oz was actually a very small man standing behind a screen from, you know, <laughs> He, he came from running a county fair in, in somewhere in Texas. No, I'm sorry, not Texas, Kansas. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so that's the impression that they need. The market is con in control at this point. Um, the question is, how much more will the central bank community begin to throw at the market in a real bare-knuckle fight? And 
I think we've already seen the groundwork laid for that. Some of the, 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 the analytical framework and some of the, the intellectual work which had to be done sort of at the ivory tower level has already been done. We've had some experiments in uh, Scandinavia where complete control of the economy, cashless society, and, and the ability to increase taxes at will uh, on a completely captive audience that has already been explored. Um, so you're talking about Michael Woodford's work, Interest in Prices, um, mm-hmm. and, and you're talking about Ken Rogoff and his suggestion of, of, of getting completely rid of cash because mm-hmm. it's, oh, such a dirty, nasty thing. The reality is they need to be able to control the financial system and the banking system in order to um, assign losses. And, and that, again, this is where I think you're looking at an epic battle between the markets determining where rates should be and the powers that be trying to keep a lid on those rates because, frankly, we can't, we can't take it. We can't take it. $262 billion is the net interest margin today uh, or net interest on the national debt, I should say, mm-hmm. uh, from 196 eight years ago. And it's set to rise with a rise in rates um, to the point where it's, a too lar- it's too large a percentage of our total tax take. Um, a single line item that's, say, 15 or 20 percent becomes a critical variable in, mm-hmm. in, in sort of the stability of the U.S. dollar and the U.S. Treasury market. And I think we're marching towards that. So let's think through this. How does this work out? If, uh, are, are you suggesting that cashless society, that that's definitely, that's definitely what they have in plan? They have planned for us. I think they also have bail-ins planned. The next time there's a financial crisis, won't be bailouts. It will be bail-ins so that they'll just simply take some of our uh, some of the deposits that we have in the banks, they just take it away from us and, and or give us capital or give us stock or whatever in exchange for it. Um, is that your understanding of what they have planned? And then if that's the case, people will want to pull their money out of the banks. But if you can't pull it out and you have to leave it in digits, they've got you, right? Well, that's right. I mean, so in, in the book, The Intentional Legacy, I'm talking about choices and I'm talking about a curatorial work that relates to family dynamics, really. Mm-hmm. But, yes. but at the core of that, it's still at the core of what I think needs to be at a, as, as a part of our financial system, which is freedom of choice. You know, mm-hmm. when you're talking about the value of agency and the value of autonomy and the value of privacy to, to make the decisions that you want to make because of your value system, mm-hmm. these are the things that birth our future. These are the things that as individuals dignify us. Our, our choices allow us to demonstrate what our values are. Now, that is in direct opposition to sort of what we have today, a governmental leviathan that wants us to go along to get along. And, you know, we've, we've come to the end of being able to afford the size government that we have, but that does not mean the government has any intention of sort of shrinking itso- itself. No. What, what they're doing in response is saying, away with autonomy, away with choice, away with agency, we have a one-size-fits-all solution. And if that means greater control in the financial markets, so be it. But you will choose option A, option B, and option C. Um, That may be, uh, again, U.S. Treasury option, a U.S. stock market option, and I don't know what option C will be. But I can guarantee you it's not going to be gold. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be gold. Are they going to take our gold from us? It's it's a good question. I mean, it's it's a real concern because there is a philosophical opposition. This is one of those things that has allowed for privacy, autonomy, choice, and agency mm-hmm. through the decades and through the millennia, and it's allowed for wealth to be moved across borders, um, not because that's nefarious or illegal or criminal, but 
if you look at the history of mankind, there is a lot of criminal activity that takes place in the halls of government. And individuals, if they don't want to be squashed by that criminality, sometimes have to step outside of their normal routines, which may include migration, which may include a whole host of things. Gold gives you real estate that you can put in your pocket. It gives you the ability to take a financial asset, which is completely outside of the financial system, and maintain your ability to choose and to do well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But again, uh, police states are not, uh, you know, what you're really talking about, David, is uh, slavery, enslavement. It's an enslavement of the system uh, that, that is in place right now. And um, and so I guess now I would like to ask you, I know that you give a great deal of thought as to how you and your family and the people that you serve can protect themselves against what is inevitably coming our way. I know that they, the powers that be don't want people, are, are not shining the light on on the dynamics that's happening and what's taking place. It's always, uh, you know, people, we always have the, the cheerleaders on, on television to assure us that everything is okay. Uh, but you do a lot of work in that regard, and I would like to ask you about, uh, on, on your website, you have a publication called Gold and the Third Wave, What You Need to Know. Talk to us about that, because, and first of all, what do you mean by the third wave, and uh, that implies a, a first and a second wave. Uh, talk to us about the three waves. We're in the third wave, I, I gather, from, from your paper. Uh, and, and just talk to us about that report, and I think you indicated, well, it's, I know it's available on your website, because I saw it there. But talk yeah. to us about that report. Well, I mean, one, one last note, because this struggle is not a new struggle in terms uh-huh. of the individual rights versus, versus collect, a collective mandate. You mm-hmm. go back to James Madison, and he said, since the civilization of mankind, I believe there are more instances of the abridgment of freedom of the people by gradual and silent encroachment of those in power than by violent and sudden usurpations. Uh-huh. I mean, you just this is the story of of of, of all of history, and sure. I think that's where we need to be aware of of human nature and where power goes. As as Acton used to say, Lord Acton, power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Mm-hmm. So the piece that you're talking about, Gold in the Third Wave, is a special report that we put together this year. Um, you know, call it a look backwards and a look forwards. Um, the, the, the base case is that we are an under-reserved country. Um, households are under-reserved. You look at the average household unable to handle even a $400 crisis uh, without going yeah. into debt to do so. And yeah. you, re- you realize that you know, close to 50% of the population in the United States is, is, is living either at the poverty level or at a level that doesn't even allow them to cover their basic needs. We can survive almost anything. We can thrive through almost any circumstances if we have adequate reserves. This applies relationally. I mean, if if you go through a rough patch in your marriage, but -hmm. you've made plenty of deposits to the love bank, guess what? There is an ability to endure because of the reserves. Now, if you're under-reserved and you go to a negative credit balance, uh, you, this this is this is the demise of many a relationship. I think the tr- the same is true of of of, of nations uh, as well. Where mm-hmm. if you under reserve, when you come to a particular crisis, whether it is an economic crisis or or a political or a geopolitical crisis, it can be tragic and terminal, and it didn't have to be. So 
are we adequately reserved? That's a big question mm -hmm. um, and one that we deal with in, in gold in the third wave. Now, I look at gold and silver as the ultimate reserve assets because they do stand both inside the financial markets and outside the financial markets in a world that is permeated with layers upon layers of liabilities. I appreciate one asset that is not anyone's liability. Mm -hmm. So. We see gold moving in three waves. Um, we had the first wave of, of growth um, beginning in the early 2000s, and gold quietly began a bull market. Um, it ran from the doldrums there in the 200s up to $1,930 an ounce, so about a 7.6-fold rise. And mm -hmm. you know what happened in that time frame um, was, was actually both the first wave where it emerged and ultimately the second wave where Wall Street began to take an interest. And this is very typical of any bull market. Any major bull market, whether it's Japanese equities or real estate or what have you, um, it's, it's noted by mavericks who are first in, um, contrarians who see something that they believe to be true and are willing to put risk capital at risk. Then Wall Street, after seeing a price trend established, begins to take an interest and realize that they might be able to line their pockets if and when the general public ever comes into the same kind of thematic. So mm -hmm. Wall Street creates its structures. What we had circa 2006 to 2009 was a mass proliferation of products, exchange-traded products, and, and, and you know, mining share, um, mutual funds. Yeah, exactly. All of these proliferated. You went from just a handful, say a dozen or so, to having hundreds of choices. This is Wall Street's way of ultimately capturing the flows of capital coming from Main Street. Now, the third wave is when the general public begins to really get interested. And I think we were on the cusp of that back in 2011 and 2012. Mm -hmm. uh, the gold markets were, were, were violently shut down. And I think basically we've, we've been on hiatus in this period of time where a long-term secular trend in gold um, was paused. But none of the fundamental reasons that were driving the gold market circa 2000 to 2012 have gone away. In fact, they've all mushroomed out of control. You, you, you look, for example, at the emerging markets. In the last eight years, since the global financial crisis, emerging market debt has gone from $5 trillion to $17 trillion. <laughs> I mean, th th this, is, this is amazing when you consider that these are emerging markets. Many of them are borrowing in U.S. dollar terms, which immediately sets them up for mm -hmm. catastrophic cross-border financial problems. Where do you see all of, of the defaults in the history of the bond market? It's when people are financing themselves in foreign currency terms and ultimately mm -hmm. the hurdle to repay those debts becomes too high and they must default. So we, we have a ticking time bomb there. It's not as if $5 trillion was a trivial amount, but now we've added exponentially to that. Of course, we've nearly yeah. doubled our gross total debt here in the United States as well. All that to say the fundamentals are still there, supportive of the market. What went away was an interest in gold because there was apparently no reason, circa 2012 and beyond, to have an insurance policy, to have something which was outside of the financial system. Faith was restored by the creativity of Mario Draghi and mm -hmm. of Ben Bernanke and mm -hmm. of Mr. Kuroda. So y you, had, you had faith restored, which is why gold went on hiatus. I think you're looking at the emergence of the third wave where we begin to see a certain degree of pessimism, a certain degree of skepticism and doubt about the veracity of the tools used and the effectiveness ultimately of jump-starting the global economy 
and putting it on a long-term sustainable trend. We've had nine years of growth. I think it would be normal to see a correction in the stock market at this point. But underpinning that stock market correction is a very frail financial system. Um, one of our colleagues, Doug Noland, um, points this out every week on his, on, his, on his weekly blog. I would encourage anyone who's interested, uh, you can go to our website and look at the Credit Bubble Bulletin. And, you know, again, the, the fragilities in the financial system are off the they're they're off they're off the charts. Yeah. And, and I think ultimately you are talking about global demand for gold exploding. Uh, it's been consistent in China and India, and that that has throughout this period has not changed at all. Europeans are moving back into the gold market. The surprise buyer of 2017, if you're looking at exchange traded products, was the Europeans, and so the investment segment there in in gold was very strong in Europe. Um, and you say, well, why? Why would they be buying gold if all is healthy in mm-hmm. the Eurozone? Well, Jay, you and I both know that all is not well no. in <laughs> the Eurozone. Yeah. So add, add to this the consequences of tightening credit mm-hmm. globally. And I think you have um, what, is, what is the perfect setup for gold going to three, four, five thousand 5,000 an ounce. Um, that, that assumes a relatively stable dollar. Uh, you could see higher prices, of course, it, with with an unstable currency environment. But I think um, three, four, five thousand dollars an ounce is where we go in gold's third in gold's third wave. And if anyone's interested in that report, um, you you can get it at goldthirdwave.com. Um, there there is a link there. You can you can request um, that special report, goldthirdwave.com. And people can get on your mailing list uh, to learn about the topics of your weekly podcast as well, right? Yeah, I mean, and again, if if you just wanted to go to goldthirdwave.com, that would be the easiest way to okay. request the report. And if you additionally want to be added to our weekly commentary, uh, where we've got some interesting guests periodically, and and then the rest of the time you just have to put up with us. Uh, okay. But it's okay. it's been a weekly labor of love for ten years. Absolutely, it is, David. With thirty seconds, uh, you do also have some sort of a you have products that allow uh, gold to be put into IRAs, right? Yeah, we're actually the first company in the United States to put physical metals into IRAs going back to uh, the mid to, to late 80s. And um, so, yeah, that, that is a very useful tool. Um, okay. We want to help people preserve assets. We want to help people think well and choose wisely. All right. I hope our listeners will avail themselves to, uh, to, David's, uh, to David's work, his, his team. Uh, Doug Nolan there, I've known him for many years, back in the days with uh, David Tice and the Prudent Bear Fund. Uh, Thank you so much, David, for being with us again. It's always a pleasure to have you, and uh, all the best. Take care. Great to be with you again. uh, Thank you. Uh, Folks, that is all the time we have this week. Uh, Next week, John Rabino will be here. Uh, Michael Oliver will be back again, and Michael Adams of Northern Empire uh, will be my guest next week. Until then, goodbye, and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Bonterra Resources, an advanced exploration company, is aggressively expanding its high-grade gladiator gold deposit in Quebec, Canada. Over the last 12 months, Bonterra has raised over $60 million and has attracted strategic investors Eric Sprott, Kirkland Lake Gold, and New York-based Vanek Gold Fund. 
Bonterra is focused on updating its 43-101 resource in the second half of 2018 and will incorporate up to an additional 100,000 meters of drilling, where the dimensions of the Gladiator deposit have been expanded to date nearly 500%. Bonterra trades in Canada under the symbol BTR and in the U.S. under the symbol BONXF. Oren Resources is a technically driven, capital-efficient exploration company focused on delivering shareholder value through accretive project acquisition and discovery. The company's management team has a record of success in the discovery, advancement, and monetization of exploration assets. Oren's focus is on advancing its seven premier gold exploration projects located in Canada and Peru. Oren's shares trade on the TSX in Canada and the NYSE American in the U.S. under the stock symbol AUG. For more information, please visit orenresources.com.